baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our chat about the Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball. But we're going to go Braves heavy on this one because we had a lot of fun on social media, and we're going to dig into that as we debated the worst trades ever in Braves franchise history. It was born out of a topic that I thought would get a lot more responses for a lot more teams, but given the following, I should have expected there to be a theme, and there certainly was. So what I did was take all of the great submissions I got, whittle it down to 16, put them in a bracket, and let you guys vote and crown what was believed to be, or at least a strong possibility, is the Braves' worst trade. We'll get into that on this episode of the show. Also, when you talk about Braves' trades, of course, there's going to be some usual suspects, and one of which affected, I think, a large contingent of Braves fans was the trade of Dale Murphy to the Philadelphia Phillies way back in 1990. You may think that you know why that trade went down, but I'm here to tell you there's a lot more to that story than meets the eye, and I'm going to have Dale Murphy on this show to tell you all about what led up to it, the trade itself, what came after, and as he looks back on it some 30 years later, how Murph views that trade, that chapter of his career, and that time of his life. Really excited to chat with Dale Murphy. We'll get into all of that. And I'll also have Bill Rowland joining the show ever so shortly as we try to dissect some of the many, many, many responses we got to trying to determine the most disliked trades among baseball fans, specifically Braves fans, and we'll get into all of that here shortly. Before we do that, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a rating and a review. I always appreciate those, so keep them coming. And if you like what you hear, please be sure to tell a friend and share the show as well. You can also follow along on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscores where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And Bill is at Bill Rowland, that's B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. On Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond, and I am at Grant McCauley. And you can find everything else, including every episode of the show, at FromTheDiamond.com. So with all of that said, time to jump into, I think, what's going to be kind of a divisive topic, but one that hey, look, we've got spare time, so why not go ahead and try to find some topics that we can really sink our teeth into, and I would say that this one was certainly one that we were sinking our collective teeth into when we tried to determine what it is and what exact deals it is that fans look back on, and for whatever reason, they didn't like it then, they don't like it now, they're never going to like it, whatever the case may be, we got a lot of fun submissions on that, and I'm really looking forward to jumping into this whole thing. Yeah, it should be fun. I know you got a lot of responses on some of the things that you threw out there, and I had to kind of go back in my memory bank to think about some of the things in trades that you looked at as a fan and, and went, hey, that was a great move, or it wasn't such a great idea in your mind at the time anyway. When you look back on it, there's so many different criteria that went into it. And I know a lot of folks were quick to point some of that stuff out, but believe me, I looked at a lot of different angles of a lot of different trades. 
what's the worst trade in the franchise's history? Or just from a fan's perspective, what was the worst trade that you ever experienced? People had different emotions, I think, that were attached to that. And then as we've got a lot of savvy fans, Bill, you can also look at what was the business at the time? What was the decision-making for the general manager of one or both of those clubs when they made those deals? So I think it's kind of an interesting exercise to try to balance those two sides out. Yeah, because a lot of times fans will look at it and and in the moment you'd be like, why did they ever do this move? Why did they ever do this move? And they won't go back and look at it three, four years later, five years later, whatever it may be, and say, oh, it actually ended up working out. It, it ended up being a good deal because a lot of times fans don't know if there's minor leaguers that are involved. They're not up a lot of them on what the minor league system is of another franchise that they're getting to trade with. Of course, there's also times when you look five years later and go, why would they ever have done that? Mm-hmm. And you were right in the moment to question that GM. But you know what? Nobody's going to bat a thousand when it comes to making trades in baseball. The initial tweet that I put out after speaking with you was, what was the one baseball trade from your lifetime that you hated or perhaps one that worked out better than you expected? We'll feature some of those on this week's show. I got a handful of the trades that worked out better than you expected. I think you and I both prepared for that as well, but we're going to table that part of it because in large part, as things happen on social media from time to time, we get really hyper-focused on the negative aspect of this. And of course, You're going to remember the best trades, but you're also really going to remember the worst trades. And I thought it was really fascinating the number of responses we got. And a lot of it for me, of course, was going to be the following of Braves fans that I have. And I really enjoyed the overall discussion that came out of this. Not necessarily reliving some of these deals, but the fact that I got an awful lot of feedback. And it was really interesting to see the differing points of view on okay, well, yeah, I didn't like that one, but it wasn't as bad as this one. There was a lot of that, and it actually turned into a pretty tidy 16-trade bracket that I was able to work out to try to crown what was, in some consensus, the worst Braves trade ever, and we'll get to that in a little while. It's pretty amazing, though, Grant, when you think about it, because what's 2020 now, the Braves really started their run in the early 90s, so you're talking about 30 years. Braves have relatively been either... In the playoffs, I mean, they had that run of, what, 14 straight division titles, and now that the wild card's been added, they've added even more. They've been relevant for basically the past 30 years in Major League Baseball, and you don't stay that way if your front office is making more bad trades than good trades. So I would imagine there have been a lot of trades uh, in the past 30 years, let's say, for the Braves that they've come out ahead on. And the fact that you came up with a 16 trade bracket and got down to a pretty good Final Four says a lot about how good the Braves have been the last 30 years. It really does. And again, I just want to throw this caveat out there, just a little bit of context for it, if you want to call it that. The Braves also had a lot of good trades, a lot of trades that worked out well. And this is true across all 30 teams in Major League Baseball and across all of sports. GM's records are going to have wins and losses and some that just end up being a wash. But this was just an exercise in trying to find those trades that maybe just didn't sit well with people. And we found an awful lot of them. Before we get into the Braves side of things and talk about the bracket for a couple of minutes, I also, of course... I want to look into what kind of submissions we got from folks as far as the Major League Baseball scope of things. Fans from teams maybe outside of Atlanta or just submissions for trades that had nothing to do with the Braves. And the feedback bill was tremendous because it was not just fans of the Braves and folks that just follow me on Twitter just to keep up with Braves news, but other journalists, folks, friends of mine in the radio industry, as well as some players, including a couple that were involved in these trades, 
that I've had a chance to talk to as well. It was a really fascinating grouping that kind of gravitated towards this topic and had some feedback one way or another, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, it would be fascinating to talk to some of these players, and I imagine you'd have to do it with guys that have since retired, but just to get their sense of when they're involved in a trade. And when it goes down, if you feel insulted because if you, you know, if you got traded or if you feel like, okay, I'm valued by this other franchise, if you're going from a team that's, you know, below 500 and then going to a contender, how different that is from going to, to a contender to somebody who's not in the playoff hunt. There's so many dynamics that a lot of times fans, we don't think about this, even as reporters, we probably don't necessarily think about this, but it would be fascinating to dig deep into somebody and hear them talk about what it's like to go through that week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever it is, leading up to the trade deadline, knowing you're on the block and not knowing where you're headed, when you're headed, or who you're headed, which team you're headed to, and and who's coming back on the other end for you. I I imagine it might be insulting at times to find out who you got traded for. You're going to get a chance to do that with one of the more high-profile names that I got as far as submissions were concerned from the Braves side of things. I'm going to chat with Dale Murphy in just a little while, and he's going to, I'm sure, paint you a picture that includes all of the different nuances that goes into the player side of what it's like to be in trade rumors, to actually be traded, what led up to it, what were the events that transpired to make the trade happen, and then, of course, what was it like readjusting after spending a long time in one city, kind of building a legacy of sorts, and Dale Murphy will talk about that in a little while on the show. But those are some great points, Bill, and something I'm sure that Murph's going to speak to quite a bit when we do get to him, but I'd want to get to some of these fan responses. And one of these that came across quite a few times was the Orioles trading Pete Harnish, Kurt Schilling, and Steve Finley to the Houston Astros back in 1992 for Glenn Davis. That is an all-timer of a bad trade for the Baltimore Orioles, and it was a deal that had some serious dividends for Houston and even beyond Houston as those players all went on to have, I would say, very good, if not Hall of Fame careers in the case of Kurt Schilling. Yeah, and it's funny because Schilling, of course, started with the Red Sox organization and got traded along with Brady Anderson for Mike Boddick or whatever the guy. I can't remember the guy's name now. Um, But it was one of those trades that everybody in Boston went, wait a minute, this guy was supposed to be like the next Clemens coming in for us. Why are you getting rid of him? And then he goes to Baltimore and they do the same thing. So it's just like, wait a minute. It's amazing if you look at the thread of players that Schilling's been traded for and organizations that he left. Of course, he goes to Boston, to Baltimore, and then he ended up in in Arizona and back to Boston in a trade. But yeah, Glenn Davis had, I think, maybe a year or two where he was decent in Baltimore. It certainly was Houston winning that trade. I, I would imagine when you go back and look at it, he was already past his prime, I think. I don't think he ever mashed like he did in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just remembering, uh, again, growing up around here and, and many of my friends being uh, O's fans were not happy with the way the Glenn Davis era lasted in Baltimore. No, it wasn't really the Glenn Davis era. It might have been the Glenn Davis era in the minds of a lot of people just based on the fact that his numbers in Baltimore were nothing anywhere close to what he did with the Astros. Just to quickly look at it, He only played three years in Baltimore. He was done with baseball by the age of 32. He hit 24 home runs and just under 200 games in an Orioles uniform. That's not the kind of return they were looking for. Obviously, injury played a big part in this and why some of these trades don't work out. And in hindsight, which again is what we're using to look at these trades, in large part is what's the legacy of this deal? 
how is it perceived once you've had a chance to see how everybody performed after? I think that's what really fuels these debates and makes it an interesting topic. Another interesting one that I got was Jay Buhner for Ken Phelps. That was a deal between the Mariners, who got Mr. Buhner, and Phelps, who went to the Yankees and really didn't have a memorable run there in the Bronx, but that one came up quite a bit, still sticking in the minds of people some 30 years later. Yeah, that Buhner to the Mariners going from New York, and I think at the time the Yankees really could have used a young upcoming outfielder. If I remember right, their outfield was getting old at that point, and that was the main sticking point was you're trading away youth, but again, that was Steinbrenner just trying to chase back in those days. He wanted all the stars. He didn't care about a kid that was coming up in double-A, triple-A, or whatever. He wanted the established stars, which is why he got guys like Dave Winfield and Reggie Jackson and over and over, so many of the guys that he paid for. And it worked in the 70s. You think about the Yankees after probably, what, 81, 82? Really Mm -hmm. not that relevant in Major League Baseball as far as being a contender uh, when they kept trying to chase all the stars. And you can't imagine that George Steinbrenner was sitting around in the 80s thinking, gosh, I want to spend all this money and not win World Series at least every couple of years. I mean, I know it was their goal every year, but he went out and had a good team in some respects, but just couldn't seem to put it over the top despite getting the likes of a Ricky Henderson and a Dave Winfield and many other players to go with Don Mattingly and others. Those Yankees teams really didn't ever seem to get over the top, and Don Mattingly, interestingly enough, retired before the Yankees dynasty of the 90s began. So a lot of different things will fuel, I think, the feedback that we got but I wanted to get some that were just outside of the brave scope of things. And I know that, Bill, you had a couple in mind as well in terms of yeah, trades that really affected you from a very early age, one in particular. Yeah, the probably the toughest one, and I, I'm not going to say it, it was then that I realized that baseball was a business because I didn't understand it then, and I you know tried to have it explained to me, but I still didn't get it. Was I was nine years old, I think, when Fred Lynn got traded from the Red Sox to the California then, California Angels. I had no idea at the time that the Red Sox were in any kind of financial difficulty because at nine years old, you don't know what the situation is as far as these teams go. And so when he got traded out to California, and I don't even remember who he got traded for. It was a bunch of nothing as far as I recall. It broke up that Jim Rice, Fred Lynn, Dwight Evans outfield that as a kid you had watched for the last three or four years that you could remember and you had just expected these guys would always be there. They were always going to be the outfield. Carl Yastrzemski was always going to be over at first base. Carlton Fisk was always going to be the catcher. And oddly enough, Fisk actually left as a free agent that same winter. But that trade suddenly kind of shattered the illusion that the players that you root for don't stay on the same team for their entire career. And, you know, again, free agency was probably less than a decade old at that point in Major League Baseball. But that trade kind of jumped at me that that said, hey, you got to be careful that, you know, you don't get attached to some of these players because there's no guarantee they're going to be with your team for their entire career. I did look up what the Fred Lynn trade was. And veteran outfielder Joe Rudy at that time was in that deal coming to the Red Sox. Meanwhile, Jim Dorsey, who I'm not familiar with, but the big name in that trade coming the other way for Fred Lynn was Frank Tanana, who had been with the Angels for a very long time, had been part of a rotation with Nolan Ryan, who, of course, left via free agency to join the Astros at the start of the 1980s as well. So just interesting to see these guys moving around the same time and put it in the context of what was happening at the day in those days. And Fred Lynn stayed with the Angels for a while. Then he ended up with the Baltimore Orioles, Detroit Tigers, and San Diego Padres, I believe he closed out his career with. 
kind of strange to see Fred Lynn in a San Diego Padres jersey, I'm sure, for a lot of people, I'm sure yourself included. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think now that you mention it, I don't think Tanana spent more than a year or two with Boston. Like, he was at the end of his contract. And I think looking back on it, that's why, again, one of those things where you went, why did you trade Fred Lynn for one year? Well, it's because they knew they'd be out from under his contract at that point. I mean, looking back on it now, you realize it was a financial move by a team that wasn't like, and some of the younger listeners to the podcast are going to be like, what do you mean the Red Sox had financial difficulties? They were, <laughs> they were one of the teams when the Yawkeys owned them, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, that did not have a lot of cash and couldn't throw it around like the rest of some of the, the, the teams were doing. Obviously, the Yankees were at the forefront of that, but they were hurting very much financially. And I want to say, even before I was born, so this is going back in the late 60s, that there is even talk that Boston may not last, or the Red Sox may not last in Boston, that the Yankees were going to sell them and move the team out of Fenway, which, again, is unfathomable right now that the Red Sox wouldn't be in Boston. But 50, 55 years ago, that could have been the case had certain things fallen the right way. So, yeah, they had no money. So they trade away one of their best players in Fred Lynn to get one year or two years, I think, of Frank Tanana. Interestingly enough, I was looking back on this, and this goes all the way back to 1952-53. There was a sentiment at the time that the wrong team was leaving Boston when the Braves went to Milwaukee which I think is pretty fascinating in hindsight just to think about that because the Red Sox are one of those institutions in all of sports, especially all of baseball. A little bit funny to look back and think, wow, that's something that showed up in the paper probably more than once and was probably a sentiment that a lot of fans were kicking around at that time as well. Frank Tanana, in case you're wondering, only spent one year in Boston. It was the strike year of 1981. He was in Delta, the Texas Rangers, ended up mostly with the Tigers in the second half of his career. And he's a really fascinating baseball reference to go look at absolutely dominant through the age of 24. And then he had to become a totally different type of pitcher. And I would say probably when you're throwing 240 to 288 innings a year at the age of 21, 22, 23, that might be something that could burn you out. Not something we see so much in today's game, but either way, he was a star at the time. Fred Lynn clearly was a star at the time, but both of them were heading different directions by that time. So a pretty interesting one there. And I'm not going to spend too much time on both of mine because one of them you're going to get to hear from the man himself. As a kid, much like you were with Fred Lynn, I didn't really understand the business of baseball at 9 or 10 years old when Dale Murphy was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. We're going to have a chance to talk with Murph all about that and get really the player's insight. And I know a lot of the story from him, from his side, that I really want people to hear, but it didn't make sense to me as a young fan. And of course, for longtime fans of the Braves, it was hard to see the face of the franchise get dealt when there were so many rough years for Atlanta uh, really throughout their run to that point and before the year before as it turned out that the Braves went worst to first in 1991 so that's one that for me much like you as a kid it was hard to wrap my head around the reality that was the business of baseball and the reason why these trades happened and, and it is amazing you look at Dale Murphy and I remember I believe you'll know better than I will he played on that first Colorado team right he did yeah, and that's, again, just amazing to think about that the guy came up, I believe was on the team with Hank Aaron when he first started in Atlanta, and then ends up playing for Colorado's first ever team. Just the thread of some of these guys that last, you know, 15, 20 years in Major League Baseball and everything that they see and guys that they play with 
Murphy's one of those guys. I'll never remember him in a Colorado uniform other than that was their inaugural year. And that's why I remember. I don't remember him playing for Philadelphia. Um, really? He's always, well, I mean, as far as like when I think of Dale Murphy, I never think, oh, yeah, he was with the Phillies for those few years. It's always him just smashing home runs in Atlanta in the late 80s when when they were at the launching pad down there. I mean, it's funny to think about all these guys that that you associate Dale Murphy with Atlanta. You don't ever think about him being a Philly or certainly not with Colorado. If you were an Atlanta fan or a Murphy fan like you were, obviously you're going to know because you know his history, you know his career. Me as an outsider from being an Atlanta fan, he will always be a Brave. I would have lost the bet of how many years he played in Philadelphia because I would not have remembered that it was, uh, what, two or three that he spent up there because, again, he was Atlanta to me watching on TBS when everything was on cable and all that stuff. He was the Braves. Yeah, you were not alone in that respect. I think just about everybody could look back and agree with that because the Braves were on nationally, coast-to-coast on TBS, and Dale Murphy was the Braves for so many years to so many people. If you're kind of looking at, to your point, when Dale Murphy got started, he was drafted in the first round of the 1974 draft. So that was June 5th, 1974, less than two months after Hank Aaron had broken Babe Ruth's home run record. So Aaron's final season in Atlanta, Murphy joined the organization. Then by 1990, this is the other interesting piece of trivia I love with this. As Murphy was traded out in August, the Braves, just a couple months before that, they had used the number one pick in the draft on a gentleman named Chipper Jones. So Murphy's career, the bookends of that are pretty fascinating because Hank Aaron to Dale Murphy to Chipper Jones, kind of a fun little way to go through the years as far as brave stars and certainly guys who put up legendary careers in the history of Atlanta baseball. No two ways about it. Oh, yeah. And that's always fun if people, especially some of the younger listeners to the podcast, if you want to have a good time, go back through and just look at like baseball reference from guys that Murphy, you know, right around there, the mid 70s or whatever. And think about the teammates that they had and how it goes back. And you're only in some cases a couple of teammates away from being able to link them to like DiMaggio and Ted Williams and Babe Ruth. It's just fascinating to think about like, hey, they played with a guy who played with a guy who played with Babe Ruth. And you're not that, I mean, it's not like you're talking about guys who played, you know, in the 50s. Talking about guys that were playing in the 70s and in some cases maybe even into the early 80s. Yeah, that's for sure. It's interesting to do kind of the the how many players does it take to get back to a certain era of baseball. You can do it pretty easily with Pete Rose, among others. He's one that gives you a lot of links to a lot of different eras of baseball. But yeah, kind of fascinating to see how these players all tie together in these trades. I think we're just an interesting little exercise to go back and revisit and kind of maybe gain a different amount of appreciation for what that player did for your given team. And I think for Murph, a lot of fans saw the things that he was doing as he won back-to-back MVP awards in the early 80s and really became the face of that franchise. So that was one that I think for a lot of people don't recognize. But for me, I think the one that I hated the most, one that I just I'm still not able to, even if I understand the business aspect of it, I still just don't think it was the move to make, was when the Braves traded David Justice and Marquise Grissom for Kenny Lofton and Alan Embry. That trade didn't work out for a number of different reasons, and not the least of which was Lofton spent one year in Atlanta and then, as a free agent, went and re-signed with the Cleveland Indians, where he'd just come from, so he was playing in the outfield with David Justice the next year. And those 97 Indians, with Justice right in the middle of things, they marched into the World Series, and very well were the odds-on favorite to win it before they got stunned by the Marlins. But 
Either way, David Justice went on to have many more productive years to go. Marquise Grissom was a very good player for the Braves in his couple of years there. Caught the last out of the 95 World Series. I know there was a need to get a leadoff hitter, and I know that there was some monetary considerations with keeping Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz together, but I just never could look at it and say that the quantity and quality of what the Braves gave up for one year of Kenny Lofton and a lefty reliever was a deal that I'll ever see and think, yeah, that's something that as I revisit it, it makes a ton of sense and I'd like to see it happen again. I would never want to see that deal happen again. Yeah, anytime you get those one-year deals or rentals and you think that you're going to be able to get the guy uh, to re-sign there and then he leaves and goes back to his original team, that's when it hurts yeah. the most. If they leave in free agency and you know, say he didn't go back to Cleveland but he went, I don't know, to Seattle or you know wherever, you'd be like, all right, well, they gave it a shot but it didn't work and now he went off. But to go back, that just is murderous because you feel like your GM got held up. Like, you know, they, they were like, okay, well, we'll give you Lofton, knowing that he's going to go right back to Cleveland where he was, and what did the Braves get out of it at that point? Um, Grissom is a fascinating guy as well because he was part of that Montreal team that was just destroying the league before the 94 strike. And then he still had a couple of decent years, I think, you know, the back end of his career. I don't know if it was in Atlanta or not, but, I mean, he played a long time after that, from what I recall, um, how was, was he there more than just that one year as well? Or did he leave like Lofton did Grissom? I believe was traded in the following winter as Kenny Lofton came back. So maybe there's a bit of a log jam. There was some guy named Manny Ramirez who was also roaming the outfield by that time for Cleveland. So a lot of different considerations there, but to have Grissom and justice and get to the world series the very next year, Braves got bounced out of the uh, 1997 playoffs by the Miami Marlins, the Florida Marlins at that time. And, of course, everybody will remember that series specifically for the Levon Hernandez game or, more appropriately, the Eric Gregg game, which even non-fans of the Braves can look at and think, that's some of the worst umpiring you'll ever see in your life. And I, I can assure you that it is. Either way, though, this is just not a trade that any way that you look at it, other than if you had to shed salary and you knew that there was no other way to do it. Well, then, sure, I could understand it. But there was a bit of a feud, I think, for Justice and Scherholz after that for a little while. Obviously, that's water under the bridge at this point for both those men. And John Scherholz has gone on record saying this was the hardest trade for him to make. One that it was hardest to pull the trigger on was David Justice. However, at the time, and I know that Justice, the point of contention was that Scherholz was promising him he'd never trade him. And the next thing you know, he's getting shipped off to Cleveland. So there were some bad feelings, I think, for a while. And that clearly, if you're a fan of the team, it's a little bit difficult to see one of your best players going, and he doesn't want to go either. And he was a pretty integral part of the Braves' early run of success, the first five or six years. I know the Braves continued to win divisions year after year all the way through 2005, but 91 through 96, you could argue, I mean, that was the high point. The other eight years, don't get me wrong, they had some very good teams and had World Series aspirations and and reached World Series in 1999, but there's a difference from living it between the 91 to 96 Braves and 97 and thereafter. They were just different types of clubs, and they're going to evolve, certainly, but taking David Justice out at that time, I know from talking to some of the guys on the team, that was a big adjustment. Oh, sure, and you talk about the battles that he had with the GM and being told that he wasn't going to be traded and that he does get traded. I would imagine that happens a lot more often than we hear. Oh, sure. It just depends on if guys are willing to put it out there or not. And Justice had enough cachet at the time that he could throw it out there and say, hey, look, you told me I wasn't going to get traded because he was a superstar guy who's a back-end 
of the bullpen, you know, set up B reliever, probably is going to keep his head down and keep moving because he doesn't want to cause problems because he doesn't have that cachet. But yeah, that run that you talk about with the Braves and, and where they were, again, we talked about Murphy being the Braves of the 80s. I think of that with obviously the big three in the pitching staff, but Justice was that guy too that you looked at and said, okay, Braves, it's Dave Justice, it's the three pitchers, obviously Avery as well at the beginning of that, but those were the guys that you thought of, and of course, uh, I believe he had some romantic dilations with Halle Berry, if I remember correctly. So that brought his stature up even more. All these things, when you looked at Dave Justice, it was like, this guy's got it all, and then he gets traded. And I'm glad to know that all of that has been water under the bridge. Again, not being there in Atlanta, you don't follow it as closely, but I do remember at the time just the viciousness that it seemed like the Braves had been cold-hearted about trading him, at least from his side of things, from Justice's side of things. But it's good to know that everybody's back happy and can look back on those uh, years fondly now. It's probably not going to be something that too many people look back on and think that that was one of the high points. But, I mean, the Braves continue to win. I mean, and I think that that trade is one that the Braves, with the level of talent that they had, I mean, Chipper Jones, of course, with establishing himself, 95 was his rookie year. So going into 97, the Braves felt that, hey, you know, we're going to have enough firepower. They continued to reload and add more players when Fred McGriff went out and they traded him to Tampa Bay. The next thing you know, Andres Galarraga comes in. They get him plugged into the middle of the lineup and uh, with Shipper and the emergence of Andrew Jones and many others. I mean, there's a host of Braves that were a big part of a very good lineup for a long time. But it kind of got us down that rabbit hole, though, of figuring out based on the submissions, I felt like I had to do something with all this information. And it's not something I wanted to drag out over a long period of time. So last night, Bill, I set up these polls by taking these 16 trades that I got by and large from Braves fans as ones that they just didn't like, ones that were just the worst, ones that they'll never get over, whatever it was, whatever the criteria was, for whatever the reason, whether it's emotional or whether it's a business of baseball kind of thing or both. And in fact, I put 16 of them together. There were two Mark Teixeira trades. Javier Vasquez got traded to the Yankees. That's not necessarily a a hot-button topic for uh, Braves fans, but Martin Prado for Justin Upton, the Craig Kimbrell trade with the Padres, Ryan Klesko and Brett Boone to the Padres as well, Andrelton Simmons being traded to the Angels, and Nate McLeod coming over from the Pirates. That was one side of my bracket. Then Dale Murphy being traded to the Phillies, Jermaine Dye for Michael Tucker, which happened right after the Justice and Grissom trade went down. The next thing you know, Jermaine Dye, who was supposed to be an heir apparent, was getting traded off to the Kansas City Royals. Also, the Dan Ugla trade, the Lynn Barker trade, which a lot of folks will look at and point out as one of the worst trades in Braves history as well. The Ugla trade was made a little bit more complicated by the fact that he was given a very big extension before he ever played for Atlanta and then did not have a memorable run here. J.D. Drew for Adam Wainwright, Hector Oliveira for Matt Kemp, the Justice and Grissom trade for Kenny Lofton, and then Hector Oliveira trade from the L.A. Dodgers. That whittled down to two finalists, and I'll let you go on Twitter and look at the bracket to kind of decide, but it got down to the Mark Teixeira trade of 2007 coming over from the Rangers against J.D. Drew for Adam Wainwright, and our winner was crowned on Friday morning, J.D. Drew for Adam Wainwright, worst trade in Braves history based on about 20,000 votes on the polls to get there. It was quite an exercise. It's pretty amazing. J.D. Drew may be disliked by more organizations than just about anybody in baseball, I think. I feel bad for the guy in that regard because, like, 
there's so many teams that look at him and and Atlanta is one of them. Even though he won a World Series in Boston, Red Sox fans really didn't ever take the J.D. Drew. He was so unemotional in his style of play, which, again, some guys can get away with it, and it's fine. It wasn't like he was a bad player either. He just didn't inspire fans. I don't know if he inspired his teammates or not. Never been in a locker room with him. But as far as fans go, was just never an inspirational type of guy. I don't know what it was about J.D. Drew. I never had any interaction with him. But again, he was just a guy that you looked at, and that's what he was. He was just a guy. But he was pretty good in Atlanta, if I recall. He was great. Yeah, you got rid of Adam Wainwright. But for that one year, he was pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to trade your top pitching prospect or one of your top prospects in general, I know folks will look back on it in a number of different ways. Well, Wainwright wasn't the top prospect in all of baseball, which is very true. But he was a guy that I think the Braves knew that they had something good there. But I also know that Gary Sheffield left and joined the Yankees that winter, and the Braves had to go get another bat to put in the middle of the lineup with Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones and others. So you had to make a move. So I don't fault that part of it. But the legacy of these trades, I think, is what I'm trying to – impress upon people. It's not about saying, I told you so, or we knew this was going to happen. It's more about saying, gosh, in hindsight, that was not great, or that didn't work out well, or I don't like this trade now because of what happened after. It's not necessarily putting it in a vacuum, though you can. It's uh, it's your criteria as a fan to judge it and view it a number of different ways. But as I told a lot of people, just trying to interact but not really sway the polls as I was going along, both sides can be true. There's truth to an unlimited amount of arguments or counterpoints, let's call them that, to why deals happened, why they were good at the time, why they didn't age well, whatever the case may be. And I think that that's the biggest thing is knowing what we know now, would you give up the major league career of Adam Wainwright for just one year of J.D. Drew, no matter how good that year is, if you don't win the World Series at that point, it kind of becomes a pretty tough trade to look at. Now, they did win a division, and I don't know that they do that without J.D. Drew. In fact, I'll I'll go ahead and say, I think it'd be pretty hard to have done it without what J.D. Drew did that year because he was an MVP caliber player. But is that worth giving up 14, 15, or more years of Adam Wainwright's career? I think the answer to that, pretty simply, is no, though we are operating in several vacuums here, so I'm not sure which direction we're going with it. Yeah, of course. And when you, when you look at any of these trades in hindsight, it's easy to look at it and say, well, that was a mistake. I mean, obviously the famous one for the Red Sox and a lot of people that talk about in Major League Baseball is Jeff Bagwell being traded way, way back in 1990 when he hadn't made the Major League yet for Larry Anderson as the Red Sox were winning the division that year. But Anderson wasn't even eligible to pitch in the playoffs. And they Still got rid of Jeff Bagwell at that point. And of course, we know what happened there. So yeah, I imagine there's at least one of those trades for every team in baseball where their fan base can look back and say, what were they thinking? How did they not know that this guy was going to become this guy? And obviously for Braves fans, you look at it and say, yeah, would you like to have had Adam Wainwright for the past 15 seasons? Probably so. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing with the takeaway and how that trade seemed to have resonated for so long with so many Braves fans. I was a little bit surprised, personally. I think that to share a trade in 2007 did more damage to the club. Neither one of them kept the Braves out of the playoffs for altogether too long or put them in a decade-long rebuild, but losing the kind of players that they did in the Teixeira trade who immediately became part of the back-to-back American League champions out in Texas, Braves made the playoffs in 2010. 
Teixeira had just been traded away in 2008. Not a great return from there either. I really felt like all of the complexities around the Teixeira trade would make it the winner. I won't say a runaway winner, but the favorite to win this bracket. And surprisingly, about 60% felt that the J.D. Drew-Adam Wainwright swap was just more egregious for whatever reason than Mark Teixeira from Texas, not even putting into account the fact that Teixeira to the Angels didn't get the Braves back in the positive, if you want to say, with the return they got there. So really fascinating exercise. We've done the negatives here. So let's focus on the positives. At some point, I'm going to do a best trades for the Braves. I'll do a similar bracket to kind of balance everything out. But Bill, I just thought it was kind of fun to get off on a totally different topic than what's going on in the news today and just have a good old-fashioned baseball debate because I think those are pretty fun. Oh, absolutely. And if you go back and, as we've said, every major league team has that one trade that you either say, wow, what a steal. This was brilliant. How did they pull that off? And they also have the other side of it where you go, man, my club might be the dumbest franchise on the planet to have made that trade. But it's easy to do that 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road from it. And I'm sure there were some young kids that, uh, you know, when guys got traded, that was their guy. And they didn't understand the ramifications of whether it was finances or for whatever reason that people need to be moved. I'm sure there's a bunch of kids that grew up and were David Justice fans. And when he got traded, they probably cried themselves asleep because they just didn't understand what was going on. Yep. I got a good friend of mine that I work with on a regular basis that believes that the trade of David Justice started the Braves curse. They're locked out of the World Series, he believes, in his eyes and in his experience uh, since that Justice trade. And Atlanta has been back to the World Series in 99, so I don't know if it's true, but haven't won the World Series since 1995. Would be nice to get one of those going. Curse or no curse, I think everybody is ready to see the Braves get into October and make a nice deep run and perhaps unseat the Washington Nationals, the world champions who are in the same division now. Maybe a little bit of added motivation for the Braves as well. So, Bill, I appreciate your time as always. I enjoyed chopping this up with you and talking about all these different moves of yesteryear. And hopefully we'll have a chance to rebalance this equation, talk about some of the best trades, trades we liked. And as I pointed out in the initial tweet, maybe a trade you didn't like at the time, but worked out pretty darn good. So we got a lot of ground we can cover, and I look forward to doing it. Yeah, it's been fun. These are always uh, a delight to do. And, and while we can't talk about real games, we might as well talk about real trades. All right. Well, we'll do that again. And, Bill, I look forward to catching up with you again next week. Yep. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Grant. Really happy to be joined by my next guest here on From the Diamond. And that, of course, is Dale Murphy, longtime Braves outfielder and, of course, one of the favorites across all of Braves country. And I thought a really appropriate guest to have on, given what we've been talking about here lately and on the show today. Uh, worst trades, trades that you hated, trades that just hurt your heart, whatever the case may be for fans. Uh, Dale, first and foremost, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you making some time. And I'm guessing that you're not surprised to know that your name came up a time or two when Braves fans were <laughs> looking back on trades that may not have been their favorite. Yeah, yeah. I saw your uh, tweets and your questions, and uh, it brought back some memories. And uh, I always appreciate the chance to talk about it. Um, it was an interesting time in my family, my career, and the whole Braves organization, and it's always a welcome opportunity for me to discuss a little bit more of it, uh, kind of behind-the-scenes uh, ideas and what I was thinking, and, and just a, little, a few more of the details. Well, I definitely appreciate you making the time. I'm looking forward to jumping into all of that. Before we do that, though, I did want to ask, you know, how are you, Nancy, and the family doing, and how's everyone handling these unusual times that we're living in right now? 
Well, just about like everybody else, uh, taking it one day at a time. Nancy and I and the family are doing good. We're we're doing what a lot of families do: a lot of a lot of Skype, a lot of uh, Zoom, a lot of FaceTime, and uh, trying to. I think the best thing we can try to do, our best to do, is to stay positive and and upbeat. There are so many challenges with this virus, the COVID nineteen virus, that uh, it's hard to wrap our brain around. We've never experienced anything in our lifetime, so that it, it's just all uncharted territory for us. But you know, stay positive. Uh, you know, stay home when you can. Absolutely, the social distancing. The way I look at this is the way I think a lot of people are looking at it now the better we are as communities and as neighbors the sooner we can get through this and uh, I just cannot say enough good things and thank yous to all those doctors and nurses and first responders who are on the sure. front line uh, taking care of these people and all the, the scientists and researchers who are working around the clock for a vaccine and medicine it's just a, a remarkable thing to watch i think there's going to be some silver linings out of it for sure absolutely and that's something i know we're all hoping for to flatten the curve as they say get on the other side of this thing but a lot of hard work a lot of sacrifices being made by a lot of folks trying to work our way through that but as far as kind of what we've always done to escape sports has been that thing but right now sports is kind of on a hiatus as well which gets us down several strange rabbit holes every now and again. And this uh, worst trades thing in Braves history was something that I hadn't really <laughs> anticipated getting into, but I just wanted that general feedback from fans just to have a little talking point for the show. And uh, given the Braves following I have, it was uh, quite an outpouring of different trades, some recent, some not so recent. And one, of course, that you were involved in that I wanted to ask you about. So uh, if you can, tell me a little bit about what was happening at the time back in 1990 and how you were feeling about what maybe you needed at that time in your career. Yeah, and thank you again, Grant, for the chance to talk about it once more. Uh, let me think here. Where should I start? I think there were some trade rumors. I think this is kind of probably where the seed was planted in my mind. Trade rumors, 86, 87, 88. I think 87, I had a good year. 88 wasn't so good, and 89 wasn't so good, and the team wasn't doing so good. So some of the trade rumors kind of slowed up and uh i think what nancy and i were talking about during this time was we've just noticed and you can look at the history of baseball in all organizations the same thing happens except for a very few very few players tony gwynn chipper jones uh Derek jeter and i'm sure there's some others that i can't think of right now uh cal ripkin i guess yeah. uh is another one where the player actually stays with the organization that he started with it seems that there comes a time in a player's career where the organization wants to go a different way they don't know what to do necessarily it, the best way i could describe it, it gets kind of sticky sure uh the, the player still you know he's got all those ties to that organization maybe his production has slipped a little bit and you can just go through the list and i personally you know saw what happened to phil negro yeah. What happened to Nuxi? Nuxi, you know, and I, I think that was in the in our minds that you know something's going to happen eventually. Um, someone's going to have to make a decision, and I think that's what was going through our mind at the time: is that is it time to move on? I guess that was the question. So uh, my situation was being a, a at least a ten year veteran with at least five years with the same team. Yeah you have the opportunity to, you know, veto trades and you kind of still have some control. 
So I came to 1990 and uh, had struggled. You know, I hadn't, hadn't really had a, a couple of good years put together. And it came to 1990, and I think what went through my mind is, is I'm going to make a decision. And uh, that's where we got to, uh, when was the trade? I can't even, oh, August. Right. Is that right? Yes, that's Grant? right. August of 1990. Yeah. So um, in 91, I was going to be a free agent. And so I had to make a decision, I think, during the season. Well, at least I wanted to make, you know, I was trying to think about it. And Nancy and I decided we were going to move. We were going to, you know, go out and be a free agent. And I hadn't done it before. I'd been happy with Atlanta and signed some multi-year contracts. Kind of had faith that we were, you know, going to, you know, make some good progress. And so uh, that was it, basically. I went into Bobby Cox's office, and he was, as I recall, GM and the manager at the time. And, and I just went in, I think we were on the road somewhere and I said, Bobby, I got to talk to you. And he said, yeah, what's up? And I said, you know, I'm going to be a free agent next year. And he said, yeah, I know that. I said, no, I'm going to leave. I'm going to, I'm going to be a free agent. I'm going to go out. You know, Nancy and I've decided that it's time for me to move on. They said, but if there's a trade that you guys can explore now, I'd be happy to consider it. So that's where it got to the point, Grant, I made that decision. And so the Braves started looking at trades, possible trades. Well, for sure. Let me. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously, and a lot I want to kind yeah, of yeah. delve into. Yeah, and, let's and, go back and review that. <laughs> yeah, like as a player, what is it like to hear your name in trade rumors? Because for fans, it may be one of their favorite parts of the game is having these discussions, but it has to feel a lot different when it's your name that's the thing being discussed. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, I had never had that happen before, Ever, you know, as as a player coming up with the Braves, I've never experienced anything but the Braves organization. Then all of a sudden, not a lot of them, really. The most frequent one I heard was with the Mets. There, I'm sure there were some other discussions, but that was Mets. And I, I ran into Jack McKeon, you know, a number of times over the years, and he was with San Diego, and he keeps right. telling me he was begging, oh, what was her name? The owner, a Croc, Ray Croc, his wife. I can't remember her Joan Croc, yeah, I think it was Joan Croc, you know, who started McDonald's and all that, or at least, yeah. anyway, owned the San Diego Padres, and he told me he went in to talk to her numerous times about trading for me, <laughs> and I've always liked Jack. A lot of people yeah. don't realize that he was, I played for him in AAA for a couple months wow. uh, back in, in 77. He was the manager of the Richmond Braves, and I got called up to Richmond in, in seven, well, actually, it was 76. Yeah. Small world. Yeah, it was, it was a great guy. Everybody loved to play for him. And, of course, we know what he did. He went down to Miami. He's a great, great baseball guy. So, anyway, your question was, what's it like? It's really weird. Uh, but I'll tell you, the reason why it got these kind of thoughts going is when I considered the possibility, and Nancy and I thought about, you know, having, you know, eight, nine years in the league, and we started thinking about what it would be like in New York, and it kind of, it picked us up a little bit because I was kind of in the doldrums, best way to explain it, mm-hmm. you know, 88 and 89. And the team wasn't doing well, and it was just stagnant. And so the positive of getting your name mentioned is that sometimes it really gets your adrenaline going. You think, hey, this could be a good thing. Yeah. And I never talked to the Braves about it. So, but, so that's what it was like for me at that time. I was very interested in it. Well, you mentioned as a deal was coming together, and of course, let's just let people know. I mean, most folks that are listening to it at this point know that 
you were traded to the Phillies. Tommy Green was sent along a little bit later, but Jim Vatcher, Victor Rosario, and reliever Jeff Parrott, who had big league experience, were the three pieces that came back to Atlanta. As that deal was coming together, clearly that's something Bobby Cox would be working on. And you mentioned a little bit of this, but did you have input on the cities that you were interested in? Or at that point, yeah. as a 10-5 and five yeah. player, was it more about Bobby Cox trying to find a deal and then approaching you for approval of that deal? Yeah, got all of the above, right. So I had some control, even though it was a trade. I got to say one Atlantic boat, when I got traded, I lockered on the road. I always lockered next to uh, Lenny Dykstra. I was number three. He was number four. And he goes, Murph, remember those trade rumors, you know, a couple of years ago with, it was me, Howard Johnson, and somebody for you. I go, yeah, I remember that. He goes, I got to tell you something. He goes, when we heard those rumors, he goes, Howard and I did not want to leave New York. We didn't want to go to Atlanta. So Howard said, watch me. And <laughs> they're in they're in spring training, and Howard goes, hey, Lenny, watch me in infield today. He goes, I know there's Atlanta scouts here watching me. So Lenny told me that Howard goes out to take infield before the game. He gets a ground ball. He throws it over the first baseman's head and walks off the field oh, holding wow. his arm. <laughs> That'll do it. I don't know. <laughs> so he walked. Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. So For sure. So I went to Bobby and said, yeah, Bobby, I'm, I'm going to move on if there's a trade. So, yeah, so Bobby is just <laughs> – Nancy's right here. <laughs> Nancy wants – just a second. Nancy wants to clarify something. Oh, this, go right ahead. This is, a, this is good <laughs> because my memory is always a little messed up. No, it, no, you're saying it already. I think our primary reason to go in for you to talk to Bobby, it wasn't so you can have control. It was more because we wanted the Braves to get something for you. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Nancy's the thought about the trade was that there was still some loyalty that we had with the Braves, and we thought that if there's a trade, then they can get something in return as opposed to me leaving. And so we thought, okay, well, that would be a nice thing if there's a city that comes up and sounds interesting to us. At least they would get something in return for me as opposed to me leaving as a free agent. And the other thing is, if there was a city that I'd like to go play at, they would also have to uh, extend my contract. Right. So the advantage to me was if the city's good, I'm going to have a contract extension instead of going through free agency. Remember, if I went into free agency, I was banking on a couple of years that weren't that good. Yeah. So my thought was, if this is a good situation and they're going to extend my contract, then I, it's a bonus for me. I got a, a good deal and a couple extra years on my contract at the current level of my salary. Instead of going out into free agency, the Braves would get nothing and I would be at the mercy of my last couple of years. Yeah, that's really and, interesting. Yeah, and that my agent was Bruce Church, and he said, look, let's think about this before you go into free agency because, you know, you're not in a great position. You're 30, uh, whatever I was, in 90, I was 30, I'm sorry, 34. And, uh, yeah, you got, you know, some good years, obviously, but those have, have been in the past. If an organization says, we will extend you, you know, fantastic. So Bobby came back to us and said, the Phillies are interested. And we said, well, what's the deal? And so Nancy and I just had to sit here and, you know, do our best to figure out, what, you know, we're thinking, 
Philly's kind of like New York. You know, it could be a time in my career where I really needed that extra juice that comes from a Northeast city, knowing that it is different. Playing in Philadelphia, playing in New York, playing in Boston is different than playing in Atlanta, L.A., or San Diego. And maybe it would be a good time in my career. It would be really motivating. And so we said yes. And I didn't really know the players involved. But the challenge for fans is to say, well, the Phillies didn't give, you know, commensurate value. Well, they extended my contract, and the Braves had no leverage. So that's kind of why the trade, people are saying, oh, it it wasn't, you know, equal in value. Well, the Braves really didn't have any leverage, and they were trying to get something for me, which they wouldn't get if I'd not accepted it. So any questions there, Grant? Did that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that made a lot of sense. I have obviously quite a few questions just in general, just because of the fact that I think that there's an emotional component, and I speak as being a Braves fan who grew up in the 80s, you know, when you have certain favorites and people that you really identify with your favorite team, especially given what the Braves were to so many, because there was a, a modicum of success that happened in the early 80s, but there was an awful lot of coverage of the Braves because of TBS, And that, in a lot of ways, was part of the brand. But when you thought about Braves baseball for so long, Dale Murphy was the name that you thought of. So I think that for a lot of people, there's that emotional uh, string that gets pulled a little bit. But for most people, unlike now, when we're in the digital age, where not only do you know exactly who was traded for who, you know what money was moved around, you know who got their contract extended, all of those things hit the internet and hit Twitter, social media, what have you before anybody would have gotten that information back in 1990. So it might have been kind of a sign of the times at that point to where one of those two was going to outweigh the other in terms of the emotional reaction that folks were going to have, as opposed to the, hey, what's the business of baseball? What position are the Braves in? Hey, is Murph looking for something a little bit different at this time as well? So I think it's really interesting that you were able to tie all of those things together for folks and paint a full picture as opposed to, hey, Dale Murphy was the greatest player we've had, and I'm not thrilled with what we got back for him. I think that's a natural reaction, but there's so much more, so many more layers underneath the surface there. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Grant. That is exactly it. I mean, I still, on social media, get people say, I'll never forgive the Braves for what happened. But when you look at, and I didn't read the papers that much and what I said. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what I said. But I know every time I've talked about the trade, I try to emphasize that I initiated. Yeah. <laughs> and it just still, from fans back then, I think they still do not, you're exactly right. It didn't have the information, didn't go into all that. And I haven't had a chance to, you know, whenever I get the chance, like today, I like to explain that. I got extended uh, probably at least two years, I can't remember. But I got a real nice contract extension at my age which was really attractive and, and getting back to the Braves organization. And I think this is a real key thing. I knew someone was going to have to make a decision and there's a little bit of a false uh, narrative out there that I, I moved on to make room for David justice in right field. Um, I knew David was there. He, I knew he's a real good player, but I was thinking more, you know, you got to think about your family, your career, the one point, as Nancy said earlier, that I did think about the Braves is if I accept a trade, they can get some value back for it. If I go free agent, it's nothing. So uh, it put a lot of pressure on the Braves. They have taken the fall for that, and it's clearly 
you know, unfair because uh, we initiated it. Uh, Bobby was doing the best he could, and, um, you know, it would have taken a lot of heat off of them if I'd have just been a free agent. Yeah. I mean, it would have been Murphy's leaving, and that's fine, but I don't know. I uh, It's really interesting to try to unfold the psychology and what mm-hmm. exactly what I was thinking, but that's my best shot right there is that it was time for me to move and the best way to put it. And so I don't know how many teams Bobby talked to. Uh, the thought of playing in Philly was just so different that it was really motivating. And I knew they had a good nucleus. I mean, you got to remember, this is 90. Mm-hmm. I went there in August. I played 91. It was so-so year. 92, I felt really good, Grant. And then I got hurt. I had staph infection. They actually, long story, very short, is I've talked to doctors now. They're pretty sure I had MRSA. Oh, wow. Yeah, which wasn't really – we didn't have that acronym back then. But I missed most of 92. My point is, 93, they went to the World Series. I mean, yeah. I kind of felt that this was a good organization. I've always, I always liked Mike Schmidt. Of course, he was retired when I, in 89, I think. Mm-hmm. And I got a little anecdote about Mike, too. I walked in to the clubhouse, and, of course, he was retired. But he walked in, and he goes – man, it is really weird <laughs> to see you in that uniform. Yeah. But, you know, he came up to me and he said, I've always wondered during my whole career what it would be like to play in another city. And I thought that was a really interesting comment that sure. as great a Hall of Famer and the ups and downs he had in Philly, he always in the back of his mind wondered what it would be like. And I had that experience and it was a great experience. I really did. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of baggage to it that the Braves, I kind of forced the Braves' hand, and, and when you look at it, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I'm sure there's some other things that uh, to describe, except that I will say that it was very emotional and harder for Nancy and I than we thought it would be <laughs> to leave Atlanta. I, I mean, know. you know, there were tears and and uh, a lot of memories. I mean, I wouldn't have had a career without them, without the Braves. I'll always be a Brave you know, but look at Glav. Glav moved on, mm-hmm. went to another city, Smolty. Every everybody usually does. So that's my story on how I how I got to another city. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I love playing in Philly. I love playing in Philly. Well, I was going to ask. I think you just kind of touched on it. How difficult was it at the end of the day to leave Atlanta, which was that place where you launched your career, you enjoyed your success, and a place that you built quite a legacy with Braves fans, one that has. Uh, survived if not thrived all the way through to right here today as we sit here talking yeah it was tough i remember i can't remember where i flew in from but i think my car was parked at the stadium Fulton county stadium well obviously yeah it was there and i landed from wherever you know midnight one or two or came from the airport and took a cab to Fulton county stadium to get my car and then drive home and try to figure out you know when we were going to go to philly you know, I walked out on the field. I actually went out on the field. Uh, you know, the, they were a lot of times at night stadiums, they're doing a lot of work on the field and the lights were on and no one was there. And I went out there and, you know, had a good cry. Um, it was, it, it was a sad, yeah. sad situation. I mean, I, it was a weird bundle of emotions. It really was weird. Yeah, there's a lot, clearly, that's going to go into that because, as you've talked about a lot, you had the excitement of a new opportunity, but also a chapter that was closing, which can make it very bittersweet, at the very least. I think that might be one way to put it. On the plus side right. of that, you told the story about Mike Schmidt and, of course, Lenny Dykstra as well. Very different group that you happened into with <laughs> Philadelphia 
what was it like at that point in your career, kind of getting to know a whole new team, a whole new city, and joining Philadelphia, which was a club that, as you mentioned, you had your eye on at least a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you a – if you go in the Wayback Machine, I thought I was going to get drafted by Philadelphia. Really? Uh, in 74. Yeah, I got uh, – that was the only team, and I knew they had a scout. I knew the scout in Philadelphia, the longtime scout in the Pacific Northwest, Bill Harper. And my coach knew him, and I knew scouts were watching, but I knew Bill was there. And the uh, Phillies uh, were the only team that flew me out for a pre-draft workout. Now, they, they flew a lot of guys in. In fact, the story goes, and this is true too, so I take BP, and I mean, I'm sweating like crazy. I've never experienced that much humidity. And I'm a tall, skinny catcher, and uh, and Willie Wilson's there as part of the tryout. Now, baseball fans will, longtime baseball fans will recognize the name Willie Wilson from the Kansas City Royals, mm-hmm. but he had also signed a football scholarship, I believe, with Maryland. He was one of the fastest guys, Absolutely. you know, baseball's ever seen. And they had us run the 60 at the same time, <laughs> me and Willie Wilson. <laughs> so they go, well, this kid Murphy, you can't run, but you know, maybe there's some potential. So the Phillies took Lonnie Smith, I think third or fourth. And then the Braves took me fifth. So I, you know, back in the day, so I, I didn't know that much about the organization, but I guess to answer your question, what was it like a different group of guys, which really were notorious, I guess is the the (laughs) best to say. I think John Crutt asked what it was like. One of his lines I quote all the time when a reporter asked him what it's like now to have you know, Dale Murphy here with the Phillies. He said, well, now we got 24 morons and one Mormon. <laughs> so, uh, you know what, though? It's just like everything. You find out that there are great people all over the world, all different cities, great organizations. And uh, it is, I think, a great one of the great organizations. And Philadelphia is proud of their players. When you make a decision to be a Philly, they may boo you, but they'll still love you. And I really enjoyed my time, uh, is the best way to put it. I blended in with the guys. They, uh, <laughs> Like I said, they were a little rowdy bunch, I guess, and uh, we got along great. They give the shirt off their back, all those guys, Brock and Dutch, uh, uh, Darren Dalton, and really, really good people that uh, <laughs> I, I guess is rowdy is the best way to put it. But I felt nothing but respect and you know, enjoying my time there is the best way to put it. I would just wish I'd have been healthier and done better. Yeah, a good group that had been collected there. Clearly, they were on the cusp of breaking through in 1993. You mentioned they went to the World Series. Of course, the last few years of your career were spent in Philadelphia. Eventually, though, you ended up in Colorado where you retired in 1993. Injuries, you talked right. about those briefly earlier, curtailed your final couple of seasons. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what was going on health-wise at the time that was keeping you off yeah. the field, because 92, that clearly sounds like a year where things transpired. Right, let's just call it that. It was a nightmare, Grant. It was – I'll really cut to the chase here. I, I really felt uh, – let me see. 91, I, I felt okay, but 92 in the winter and even going to spring training – there in Clearwater with the Phillies, I, I felt like I was really back. I really felt good in spring training. I, but what happened was I had my knee kind of cleared out. You know, they went in and cleared out some old scar tissue, et cetera. And somewhere along the line, I got staph infection. So I went through, a, boy, about three or four knee drainings oh. in uh, spring training, and it just puffed right back up. 
And I got to opening day, I think, as I recall, first or second game, I pulled myself out of the game. I, well, actually, I played about two or three weeks, so I can't remember exactly. But then I, I told the trainer with Philly, I said, I, my knee, something's going on. So I missed that whole year. Eventually, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're pretty sure it was MRSA because of the nature of the infection was so strong that I was on, I started six weeks at home in Atlanta on a pick line, on an IV twice a day at home. And nurses would come by and to get rid of this infection. And my knee just pretty much got just. Yeah, it got into my blood. I had to have a transfusion. Oh, my goodness. Nancy's clarifying details for me, which is, she's, I was really sick. I was really, really sick. And, um, you know, it's one of those things um, that you get. And so, uh, you know, I was on the DL long, long, and then all of a sudden it was obvious. My knee was not going to be able to get back to plane shape in 92. So I missed the rest of the year. I was on the DL and just rehabbing there in Atlanta. So it was a bad year. No, it was very depressing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get my knee feeling good um, and missed that year. And now 93, I went to spring training with the Phillies, and I, I was a little gimpy. It was obvious I'd lost a step. It just was not working. And and uh, the Phillies came to me and said, well, you know, we're going to release you, but we're also talking to uh, – Colorado, which is their inaugural year, they, you know, if they got a veteran name and you can go down there and have some fun and they'll take you. And so that's how I got to Colorado. And then I played a couple months and my knee just wasn't healthy enough for me to play. And, you know, it, it, well, I'll tell you the story here. Don Baylor calls me into his office. He goes, Murph, we're going to make some changes. So, you know, we're going to release you. And, uh, we just, we got to do it. And so I said, Hey, uh, before you release me, let me talk it over with Nancy and everything. And so I talked it over with Nance and I just decided it was time to retire. Nancy was, um, pregnant with Maddie, our eighth child. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't feeling healthy. I didn't, I couldn't go DH anywhere. I wasn't healthy enough. So I went back to Don. I said, Hey, I'm going to retire. So I called my agent and he said, wait, <laughs> he said, don't tell them that. I said, well, why? He says, because if they release you, they owe you the rest of your contract. Ah. He said, if you retire, you, you're stepping away. They don't have to pay you. <clears throat> so my agent called up, again, it was Bruce Church. He called up the Rockies, and the Rockies said, Bruce, we'll pay Murph the rest of his year. He's good. So that was a real nice gesture. They didn't have to pay me, but they paid me the full year in 93. Oh, wow. And I retired. Yeah, that 93 team was an expansion club. That was the Rockies' first year in baseball, so I'm sure there was a unique mix of players there. You mentioned Don Baylor was managing. <laughs> it was uh, fun. Don Zimmer was there. His bench really? coach. I don't think I remember so, yeah. that. He was pretty much everywhere at some point, it seems like. He was. And I think him and, and Don Baylor were close. And So I got a couple months with Don Zimmer. I mean, listen to some stories. No <laughs> I had a good time, though. I got in that first game. And uh, I think we had 80,000 people at the uh, first game. It was huge at, at Mile High Stadium, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, I touched on this briefly earlier as we wind down here, but Bobby Cox was a general manager for the team in 1990. <clears throat> and for those who may not know or may just not have realized, he was also the manager who moved you out from behind the plate, eventually out into the outfield as well. 
I guess right. it would be pretty fair to say that Bobby Cox had a tremendous impact on your career in one way, shape, or form a couple of different times. Absolutely. I'm one of those guys that Bobby hung in there with and was, was kept giving chances and kept moving positions till he, he found one for me in the outfield. And had there been a, a different manager, a different organization, you know, it, who knows what would have happened, but Bobby hung in there with me. And uh, no question about it, Grant. I mean, Bobby's uh, – I really feel that I have a, a career, had a career because of Bobby and the Braves. And, uh, you know, that will always be the case, and that's something I'll be forever grateful for, for Most sure. Definitely. And so that's – you know, the, you're right. It, it's just not cut and dried. Oh, well, I'm getting traded. It's, it was a very emotional time for all of us. And, you know, it was just an interesting time. But uh, I think uh, uh, learned a lot from it, had some good experiences, and, you know, wish I could have played my whole career in Atlanta, but very seldom does it happen. Well, I appreciate you taking all the time to walk us through what was, again, a time in your life probably unlike any other in so many different ways. There was another Braves trade on our list that we went through on Twitter that yeah. I'd like to hear about and, and kind of see it from your experience, so to speak. Uh, in the 1980s, the Braves finally started winning, of course, in 1982. Then the Lynn Barker trade went down in 1983. Brett Butler, who was a big part of your club at that time, Brooke Jacoby, who had not really established himself with the big leagues, but would with the Cleveland Indians. Both those guys head out. Barker comes in, not the impact arm, though, Atlanta was hoping for as his career was winding down, as it turned out. And then Joe Torre was out as manager not too long after that. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Lynn Barker trade, uh, how it affected the team, and then, of course, uh, kind of the direction the team went in after that and the struggles that followed? Well, you got to look at teams that win. you got to have pitching. Yep. <laughs> Just That's all there is to it. And if you look at our 82 team, uh, in 83, our pitching was okay. I mean, Nuxley won 17 in 82. I don't know what happened in 83. But we weren't – I've always said you need three aces. You know, you need three front-line starters mm-hmm. at a minimum, I think, to have some longevity to contending. It's always going to be pitching. It's just hard to outscore people all the time. And yeah. we had a hitter's ballpark. We had a good lineup. We were scoring some runs. But our pitching just wasn't deep enough – and uh, I think the thought in 83 was, I don't remember details, but there's always responses to other teams. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a trade, they get better, or what are we going to do? Uh, you know, obviously we loved Brett Butler. We didn't know a lot about Brooke Jacoby, but you're right. He ended up having a really good career. And Brett, of course, we all know that Brett had a great career. And as I recall, uh, Grant, the main problem with Lenny was his shoulder. You know, who knows? details and when it started bothering him but I think if Lenny Barker would have been healthier you know it would have worked out there's so many things Grant with every organization things work out things don't work out with health of the player if this kid would have stayed healthy you know or a free agent uh, Bruce Suter is one shoulder started bothering him you know and Nick Izaski is really one of the the one a lot of people don't talk about got vertigo and he was a 30 home run guy for a couple years and coming back home and all of a sudden he got vertigo. So yeah, in retrospect, yeah, I would have loved to play with Brett Butler, you know, my whole career and, and Brooke was a really good player, but we needed pitching. And when you need something, sometimes you make a decision that, uh, you know, you're a little worried about, but you hope works out. And, and really to me, it was just Lenny's health because he had done some pretty good things. You know, we, uh, we needed pitching. 
Yeah, and that was a move that was, of course, designed to do that. And just, a, I guess, a lot of changes kind of happened after that initial success oh, in 1982. Yeah. And they're yeah. hoping to follow it up in 83. And just uh, the cards that were dealt were just not the ones that proved to be the winning hand in what yeah. was the National League West at that time. You know, we did okay in 83, but 84, the Padres kind of ran away with yeah. it. And, and then, you know, Joe... I never have known the details about why Joe got fired because we had pretty good years, 82, 83, 84. So yeah. it was uh, kind of started our downhill thing. We just weren't deep. The organization wasn't very deep. And then the famous, really, of drafting great pitchers and really started rebounding and uh, got some longevity and some depth to the organization. Most certainly. And we saw that really bear its fruit in the late 80s, early 90s, and, of course, all the way on through the 90s as well. Let's end on a high note, though. You've been reliving the 1982 winning streak on social media here lately. Tell us a little bit about that and about what you've seen from rewatching those highlights again and what you've learned from that incredible streak. Well, confidence, it plays a big part in whatever we do. And if you go out on the field and think you're unbeatable, it's really going to help you. <laughs> and we thought we were unbeatable. I mean, it was just a blast to go out there. You know, I think I tweeted we at this point in time we were nine and zero, and I'm thinking, man, we still won four more games after mm-hmm. being nine and zero. You know, and we're making a splash. It was the whole thing was just incredible. The fans were so hungry for a winner. It was seriously like a I, I hate to say two weeks in the season that it was a World Series atmosphere. Of course, I never experienced a World Series, so I don't know. But at least the playoffs, it was like the playoffs. That yeah. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Uh, we had some, I guess the thing to say is mojo. We just, we really felt when we took the field, something good was going to happen. And, and it did for two weeks. And, uh, of course, the season was one of good streaks and some terrible streaks. And we kind of limped home. I think that it really exposed us, though, Grant, getting back to our depth. Mm-hmm. You know, we were only three games over 500 after that first 13 games. And that's, that's not very good. I mean, that's not going to win a pennant. So, it really kind of that season was like good. We got to the playoffs, but you really had to wonder about the depth of our talent. Were we going to be able to continue this? Because what the Braves have done is remarkable is to have that continually competitive team, which, you know, we had some weaknesses and it's hard to get back. <laughs> it's hard to get back as, as I saw, but it was. What can I say? But it was just a blast. It was just incredible. This has been an absolute blast for me. I appreciate all the time that you've made for this, walking through the trade to the Phillies, of course, some of the other things that went on around that time in your career that maybe a lot of people don't know. So I'm really glad that you were so accommodating, number one. And number two, I know you mentioned this earlier, just getting a chance to kind of tell the whole story and let people know what exactly was going on at that time back in August of 1990, which for many people – it was a day that was pretty tough to live with, but for you, the person who actually lived it, there was a whole bunch of other things going on that I think it's interesting to give people that whole story. So thank you so much for making the time and for doing that. Well, I appreciate it, Grant. I always appreciate the chance to talk about it because it was a confusing time. I think your point about information, just mm-hmm. not all the information gets out. Even It may be out there, but it only got out in papers. And instead of social media and the Internet, and the main thing I want people to know is that I love the Atlanta Brave organization. I feel like, I, well, I am an Atlanta Brave, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had a career without them. And this was something that I initiated, I think, is the main thing. Uh, so I hope people, you know, understand that. 
But that's what's great about sports, isn't it? You know, we mm-hmm. have our passions and, oh, for sure. and we love our teams. And, and uh, again, let's get baseball back here as soon as we can. We all miss it. But we thank you, Dan. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. My best to Nancy and the family. And I hope you guys are able to navigate through this time. And maybe before too long, we'll be talking about when we're going to get baseball back because I know we're all sitting here just eagerly awaiting with those two words again, which, of course, <laughs> are play ball. So thank you so much, Murph. I Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Grant. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this episode of From the Diamond. Again, what a pleasure it was to chat with Dale Murphy about really a big time in his life that may have had some implications or some different layers that you didn't know. What a great storyteller and what a candid and open conversation that was. Really a thrill. Make sure you're following Dale on Twitter. You can find him at DaleMurphy3. And you can follow him on Instagram where he's doing that watch along for the 1982 Braves who opened up the season 13-0 and That is, I think, a big memory for a large contingent of Braves fans because it was the first real taste of, hey, these guys might be pretty good. And in fact, they were as they won the National League West that year, their first division title since way back in 1969. So some good stuff there and always great to chat with Dale Murphy and always great to chat with you about the Braves and Major League Baseball here on From the Diamond. As always, if you like the show, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. They're always appreciated. And on social media, you can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Grant McCauley. Bill Rowland is on Twitter at Bill Rowland as well. On Instagram at FromTheDiamonds where you can find the show. And I am at Grant McCauley there as well. And make sure you get on over to FromTheDiamond.com for every episode of the show and so much more. You can find it all right there. Thanks again to my special guest, Dale Murphy, and of course to Bill Rowland for always being open to chatting some baseball with me each and every week. And thank you again to you for making some time in your weekend or your week. Whenever you're listening to this show, it is very much appreciated. So keep the feedback coming and be looking for that best Braves trade bracket that will be coming your way very soon. That'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. We'll be back at you next week. And until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>